Hi, this is Andy Parker of UFO, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. What's up, everybody? This is Dave Reffitt, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh's rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues music scene. Episode 102, we've got three special guests. We've got Dave Reffitt from Shredding the Envelope. Uh, those of you who read Guitar World magazine, he's been featured, I believe, at least twice in the Bet You Can't Play This section. So he's going to be joining us from New York to talk about his album, along with some very special guests that he's had on that album. We've got from Promo West, Amy Cooper, the Director of Marketing. Uh, you may be asking yourself, what the heck is Promo West? Promo West is the uh, company that runs and operates Stage AE, which is the new facility on the North Shore by the uh, Heinz Field. So we're going to talk to her about uh, what you can expect as you head down to events there, what kind of events they've got coming up, and just learn a little bit more about the flexibility of the venue. And then we have joining us from UFO, Andy Parker. Andy will be coming into Pittsburgh to play an Iron City Rock show in conjunction with Drusky Entertainment. They will be playing the Altar Bar, so we'll get to that interview as well. So, before we go any further, from Dave Reffitt's album, Shredding the Envelope, The Call of Flames, this is a song called Stand Still and Scream. This song features a special guest solo by Michelangelo Badio, which um, if you're a guitarist, you've probably heard that name, uh, incredible shredding guitar player. So this is Dave Reffitt. <laughs>
right, folks, I want to welcome to the show guitarist extraordinaire Dave Reffitt. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm great, man. Thank you. Great. Hey, I wanted to uh, get you on the show. You and I have been emailing back and forth for, it seems like, almost a year. If it's been a day, it's been a year. Um, <laughs> you've got a, a record that you put together called Shredding the Envelope, The Call of the Flames. And I uh, wanted to get you on and introduce you to the city of Pittsburgh primarily uh, because I think you're an extraordinary talent and you've got a great record here. So Thanks, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it comes from a, a lot of different angles. You know, it's got its roots in, in thrash and hard rock and instrumental and, and, and all those aspects of guitar that I love. So if we could... Um, Give just a little background on you as a as a person. Like, where did you grow up? Where where was home for you? I grew up down in uh, a little town called Blue River, Kentucky, and that's okay. um, you know like down in the coal mine territories. Like, sure, what you know, what like where sort of West Virginia meets Kentucky, and then I'm not too far from like Cincinnati. Like, it's probably like an hour, two hours from Cincinnati. But um, it seems like a world away now, man, because you know. For a long time now, I've been living in big cities, Denver, New York, you know, Boston. But um, that was really kind of a special time, man, because, like, back then, life is so simple, and there's, like, there's no distractions, and you can mm. go out in your backyard and catch a catfish and play guitar for 10 hours a day, you know, that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, do you, uh, I, t- I have to admit, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I long for the days where I used to just go and sit in my room and play the guitar for three hours yeah. and actually have no distractions, you know. You think as a kid, boy, time moves so slow and you get older and it's, you know, you're lucky if you can get 15 minutes to pick up the guitar. Um, what what was kind of your influence musically growing up? Mm. Let me think about that. Um, actually, the first couple people, you know, like I said, I'm from the South, so the first couple of people that really I got into were, like, Garth Brooks, actually, like country music. Sure. And what I liked about it was, um, you know, those guys are really great storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like Garth Brooks had songs on the radio where, like, you know, you could hear it for the first time and, like, totally see the storyline, the plot, everything, and then after hearing it, you could still remember everything about it, you know. And a lot of music doesn't have that. It's not memorable. Sure. And um, so people like that I really, really dug, you know, and then there were some others. And since then, like, I'm really into, like, Hank Williams. Those guys are amazing storytellers. Mm-hmm. Willie Nelson. Um, I love all that stuff, always have. Um, and then my mom got me into, like, the Eagles and the Cars and um, a lot of classic rock. Mm-hmm. But the first band that really just blew my head off was uh, Metallica. Sure. You know, and I got super into Metallica, and then I started hanging out with these kids at school, and people were like, check these guys out, check these guys out. And that's when I started to dive really deep into, like, Megadeth and Pantera and Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. Judas Priest, all the greats, man. And, um, you know, and I just went full force into it and learned everything and studied all the greats, you know. Sure. I'd have my cassette player and just, like, learn licks off of it by ear and that kind of thing, you know? Do you, you ever go back and try to pick up some Marty Stewart licks or anything like that to, to throw back to your older days? I like Marty Stewart a lot. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I should you, do that. Uh, there's a guy, I tell you, that I, when you were mentioning about Garth Brooks, and I, I remember Marty Stewart and Travis Tritt were kind of, maybe not obviously to the level Garth Brooks was, but were kind of popular around the same area. And Marty Stewart, Marty Stewart was a hell of a guitar player. You know, the dude just flew on mandolin and things like that. And I, I think a lot of a lot of us metalheads, you know, guitarists of of our age tend to gravitate towards Kurt Hammett and Steve Vai and guys like that, and completely ignore guys like Vince Gill and stuff that are, are just amazing players. 
I was just going to say Vince Keel, actually, but when you say Marty Stewart, yeah, that's a guy that, like, you know, you would never know it because he had to really tame it down for the public. Sure. Um, you know, he had to write really catchy, simple songs, but when you go see the guy live, he's, he's a beast. Yeah. And um, and then you got get guys today like Johnny Highland's amazing, and um, I saw a banjo player the other day. This guy showed me that I was just like, wow. You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, so I'd like to incorporate some of that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, even when you... Mad, mad, crazy players out there. Yeah, or even a guy like John Mayer. I mean, there's a guy that... Uh, you know, he's on your FM dial probably more than you want, but, but when he cuts, <laughs> cuts it loose on the guitar, he's an amazing musician. So yeah, completely understand that. Now you, um, did you study music in school then? Beyond? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was, I started playing when I was like 13 and, and I, like I said, I just became obsessed with it and played a lot, you know, and, um, just wrote and played in bands and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, I can't remember how old I was, but I somebody encouraged me to go. I heard about the Berkeley College of Music thing where uh, okay. they had like a little summer program or something. So I went to go check that out, and that was really, really fun. I got to play with uh, some cool people. And then from that, I got a partial scholarship to go to the school for real. And I was like, oh, man, this is really cool. You know, I love this city. I love the school. It seems really cool. And then I uh, I worked with the school kept getting better, and then, like, they have this thing called, like, the the scholarship tour or whatever, where they okay. come to a bunch of different big cities, and then I went there and got more money. That's where I got a little better and all that kind of stuff, so so that ended up being a really cool thing for me, and um, so, yeah, I, I'm one of the few people that actually graduated from Berkeley. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, it seems like, you know, through the years you read about a lot of guys that go, go to Berkeley but never finish at Berkeley, you know, and I often wondered, is it because it, it makes playing the good was it still fun for you to play the guitar through that period of time? Uh, when I was in school? Yeah. I would say funner. Okay. It really was. I mean, like, it's such a cool place if you, if you allow it to be. It's such a cool place. Like, um, a lot of people don't last, like, um, like when I went there, man, I I failed. You have to do ear training. Mm-hmm. Ear training is where you have to learn to read music. You have to sight read it, and you have to be able to sing it. You have to be able to just look at it and sing it. Oh my, yeah. I know. <laughs> and uh, so I bombed that course horribly, the first one. And then I went back the next semester, like just all guns blazing, and just blew through it, no problem. You really have to be dedicated to it. Um, I look back now, and I'm like, how the hell did I ever even get through that place, man? Because, yeah. you know, you really do. Uh, it takes up everything. It takes your whole life. And um, a lot of people can't do it, and, or, the, or they don't want to do it. They they go yeah. there, and they're like, man, this isn't for me. I'm just going to go write songs or whatever, you know? Yeah. No. And, um, but I found it to be great for my playing. Like, stuff that might have seemed stupid or, like, busy work at the time, you start incorporating it into your playing, not even knowing it, and you're like, man, this is cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, did you, do they work on songwriting as well there? Or is, I mean, is it a lot of scales and theories and modes and... You do work on songwriting, and you can, um, you can even take, like, um, some people major in songwriting. So okay. That's, so that's when you get, like, really into it, and you take tons of classes on specifically that, and... And everybody has to take arranging and study, like, um, you know, different uh, forms of songs and all that type of stuff. Oh, that sounds really cool. Uh, from there, what what did you do when you got out at Berkeley? Um, I went to work at um, 
through the Berkeley connection there, and then like I really had to bust my ass and like have really good references and and um, you know good grades and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I went to work at uh, first I was at Sanctuary Records, which was really cool for me. Like I was mm-hmm. so excited, you know, because they had all my favorite bands: Leonard Skinner, Megadeth, Anthrax, you know, you name it, Kiss. And um, but then when I got there, man, the place was just like falling apart and it was it was a real drag but uh but the time that i was there was awesome man i was in the legal department so i got to read like when i was done with my work i I got to go in the back and read all the record deals and stuff Uh right and i would have my ear to the wall like you know like um they had a management division and they managed um iron maiden and yeah guns and roses you know so i'd have my ear to the wall like you know learning everything i could uh, but they went under a universal bottom and, and basically kept what little bit was profitable. Sure. And then after that, I went to Virgin Records, okay, which is under the EMI umbrella there. And that was amazing. That was really fun. But there again, you know, another company that was in danger. And um, and I think oftentimes, you know, just too stubborn to do anything about it or too stubborn to change their ways and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, um, were you recording your own music at that time, or were you just kind of taking time away from that, you know? Playing? That took my whole life. Sure. That took my whole life. Yeah, that was a, that was a 60, 70, 80-hour-a-week gig, you know, working okay. in that place. I'd yeah. be there at, like, 7 in the morning and leave at, like, you know, 9 at night. It was crazy. Okay. And um, what's, what specifically did you do there? Did you work in, like, marketing or... I worked with the I worked really really heavily with the the radio people like okay. you know and that's that's their gig is just to get airplay and to you know crack new cities and all that kind of stuff and like um you know we had like thirty seconds to Mars and Corn and okay. Meatloaf Rolling Stones but then I also worked a little bit with the marketing people and all that kind of stuff too mm-hmm. yeah it seemed like they would kind of go hand in hand to a degree yeah they'd come drag me away when they needed me for stuff or sure. whatever which was great. So, uh, do you still work in that line of work, or did you just get out of it altogether? I got out of it, man. Um, it's so tough because, I mean, like, major labels, the way that they were, are just are just non-existent, really. Sure. You know, you have you have a, you know, like like a like a department like radio promotions that should be like fifteen people. You know, you got like four people doing the work of all that, mm-hmm. and it just you know the math doesn't compute. Yeah. Especially when you have more records. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it seems like, it does seem like there's, you know, from doing what I do, uh, so much more material to consume than there used to be. And maybe that's just because I'm paying more attention to it. But you're right, when you contact the poor people at the record labels, they seem like they're, you know, under this avalanche of work, you know, and it's, it's, it's a tough thing, you know, because you need to get the material out there. To yeah. sell it, but it's it costs money to get it out there, and it's it's a you know, catch twenty two. And it's really really frustrating too, mm-hmm. because because the mentality of a place like that, the guys at the top, is like, let's just take everything, throw it against the wall, and see what sticks, basically. Yeah. You know, so and like my my kind of thing is like 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 a great great record like this record, the Call of the Flames. Like I can't do that. I can't, you know. First of all, I can't afford to make a, a record and throw it against the wall. And if it doesn't stick, say, oh, oh well, you know. Yeah. And then, second of all, who wants to do that? I mean, like, you know, I, I made something I really, really believe in, so that I can, you know, jump on it and drive it all the way. Like I don't want to, you know what I mean? I don't want to 
so many people put out a record and then they say, oh, well, it sucks, you know, I should have done this and I should have yeah. done that, and then, they, and then they make another one, and then they start all over again, and then they keep doing that. It seems to be kind of every band anymore. Our last album wasn't really what we wanted it to be, but this new album is, and then... And yeah, then, I mean, that's bullshit. They end up eventually going back to their, quote, classic sound. That seems to be the formula. Exactly. You know, you know I remember uh, when uh, Slipknot's latest album uh, came out, even in the press they were like, oh, this album isn't really what we wanted it to be. Well, <laughs> it was damn successful, so... You know, and then three weeks earlier, they were like, this is the best thing we ever did. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, usually most bands do that. But um, but it's a really, really cool line of work, and it's also a really frustrating line of work. Mm-hmm. And also, man, I mean, there's the job security sucks, because, I mean, you could be walking into a, a buzzsaw every day. You know, you, yeah. you don't know when you're going to get fired. I mean, you know, kind yeah. of blows. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the album. Like, when did you start the Shredding Envelope project? That was like um, probably like '09 or something, and then okay. um, you know I had got out of the record biz, and and I had uh, you know I was out of school, and I was like you know what am I going to do now? And I tried working, you know it's so tough working with other musicians and, and starting a band and all that kind of stuff, and you got you know um, you know sometimes there needs to be just like a vision, like even you know. You know, sometimes there's too many visions and, you know, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, I guess is a good way to put it. Uh-huh. And on this thing, I was like, dude, I'm so sick of dealing with people that are full of shit, you know, basically. And, uh-huh. and I'm just going to do this thing myself, man. And, you know, and and um, so I just started writing songs. And uh, my girlfriend, you know, we started putting some lyrics together. And we put together, like, the best, best ones, you know, that we had at the moment mm-hmm. that were finished. And just ran with it. And... um you know, I didn't know any drummers that were good enough to really pull off what I had in mind, so I hired uh, Mike Mangini, who I had played with a little bit at Berkeley. Okay. Um, and then I kind of got, like, really inspired. Uh, there was an Annihilator record where there was, like, a lot of cool guest soloists and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I wonder who I would get, you know, like, if I could get some people, who would I get? And then um, and then the thing with Michelangelo happened where I met him at a clinic, and I just kind of asked him, you know, if he would do it. And after he heard the stuff, he was on board. So I was like, "Damn, man! I wonder who else I could get." You know? Yeah. And so then it just uh, it just started rolling, you know, uh, snowballing from there. And a lot of the people that I asked jumped on board, which was great. So yeah, um, I was say you have no shortage of of, of talented guest stars on this. You have got Joe Stomp, uh, Glenn Drover, who uh, was he still with Megadeth at the time, or was this some post Megadeth? That was post Megadeth. Post Megadeth and. Speaking of Megadeth, Chris Poland uh, and George Lynch, which I mean, if you know that that would have been enough on its own to say, "Hey, I got George Lynch to play on my album." How did how did you go specifically about getting George to be involved? With a, with George, um, I went through his management and sent them some stuff and all that. And um, similar to the Chris Poland thing, you know, I sent mm-hmm. him a bunch of stuff and I never I didn't hear anything. And then with Poland, uh, like a month later, his manager was like, oh, man, we've been in Europe. You know, sound music sounds killer. Let's do it. And similar with George, you know, I didn't hear anything for a long time. And then and then he got a hold of me, and he was like, man, you know, let's do it, dude. Let's pull the trigger on this thing. And um, and I was, like, stoked, man. I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. So, um, hmm. And he he was in the studio tracking um, Lynch Mob, the new Lynch Mob, which is 
which is fantastic, by the way. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Smoke and Mirrors, it's a great yeah. record. Um, he was in there tracking that, and he's like, I'm going to have my rig all fired up and ready to go, so, you know, get me the tracks, and, and I'll, I'll blaze one out for you. Sweet. So it was, it was perfect. It worked out perfect, and, um, yeah, I was really happy with what he did, man. There's, there's that classic Lynch sound, but then he's also went a whole other direction with it. And on the solo, when it kind of slows down into halftime, like he kind of does like almost like a saxophone line, which uh-huh. is beautiful. You know, I just, yeah, he really complimented the music well. And, um, you know, that was the most popular song on the album for a reason. It's a great song, too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the playing on that one, just the delivery, the attack on the whole song um, was great. And, you know, ra- radio really picked up on that one. And I was, I was really pleased with how it did. It was great. Now, how do you, how do you go about like, for example, with George? Did he just do kind of one solo and gave it to you, or do you get a couple and have to pick, or uh, you know, uh, how do you go about critiquing it? Like, let's say you didn't like it, or you know, you that's know. exactly what happened. Was was he just he blazed one for me, and that was it. And I was like, damn, that's that's the one. You know? That's good. That's good. Yeah, you hate. Yeah, with Chris Poland, uh, he gave me like three. He gave me three different ones, and then he gave me kind of. Like he said, you know, this is the one that I'm kind of feeling, but, you know, go crazy and choose what you want. And I thought about even taking, like, little bits of pieces of different ones, uh-huh. you know, sort of like um, Quincy Jones did when, when Eddie Van Halen played on Beat It. Mm-hmm. You know, Eddie gave them, like, five or something, and then, like, they took sort of little elements of the ones they liked the best or whatever. Yeah. But with the Poland thing, like, you know, he gave me three, and there was one that really fit the music the best. But with George, he was like... You know, tell me what you think as soon as possible, and if it's not what you want, we'll try some other approaches. But as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Fuck, that's the one, dude, perfect." Yeah. Now, were you in the studio with him when he did that, or did you just did you just kind of? No, he tapes? was he was tracking out in California, I guess. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm on uh, East Coast. Well, that's that's still got to be a pretty cool uh, thing, now. Now you um, vocally, you do all the vocals on the album. Yes. Now I mean, one can't help but instantly kind of hear Dave Mustaine in your voice. Is that, I mean, how big of an influence would you say Dave was on you? Well, Megadeth, one of my favorite bands, no doubt. We're both white dudes with French names. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got the red hair, he's got the red hair. But but uh, so there are some similarities there, not just in terms of influence. Sure. You know, but, uh, but yeah, definitely one of my biggest influences. And, um, you know, I hear some Ozzy in there. I hear some Dio, Sebastian Bach, Axl uh-huh. Rose. All my favorite dudes, um, and then there's my own touch in there too. You know, like especially on like songs like uh, like I don't want to say goodbye. There's a really like I have more kind of a clean like a soaring tone. Yeah, you know, I want to get into more of that on the next record. Sort of like that more clean DOS kind of tone, and then you turn on the um, you know the distortion in your in your throat when you need it kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but I definitely hear that, and um, you know, to be to be compared to one of the you know biggest legends in metal, that's okay with me. Then that's great. Yeah, yeah. I guess that all those uh, studying that uh, music at Berkeley and learning how to sing the notes right off the page probably paid off for you now as a singer. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Yeah, it really and it taught me how to study, like how to mm. be disciplined, and how to like. Like, even if you can't accomplish that goal at the moment, like, how, how to go about accomplishing it, mm-hmm. how to work towards it. And um, and then I was working with this dude who had trained with, um, like, he had taught, like, Stephen Tyler and Gary Sharon and stuff, and he's a great teacher and really kicked my ass. Yeah, I was going to say, that's got to be probably just as important as learning how to sing. You know? Yeah, and it's tough, man. It's very tough. And, um, 
I yeah. kind of sang out of necessity, you know, because I couldn't find anybody. Yeah. Well, but I was it. really, really happy with how it came, and uh, and I'm looking forward to pushing the uh, the boundaries on my vocals going mm-hmm. forward. Now, one thing that I, I noticed, I mean, the moment I got the CD in the mail was the artwork, because this is, this is not what I would consider your typical metal album artwork. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the inspiration behind it was? Well, my fiance, she is like a brilliant artist. She takes like um, weird objects and like mm-hmm. makes cool sculptures and all kinds of stuff out of them. And she also has like quilts and she she has tons of stuff that she does. And um, you know, I didn't want another metal record in the world with like skulls and snakes on it. And yeah, who cares? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's just it's it's so cliche and stupid. And and you know, this thing definitely stands out. I mean, it's 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 its own animal. You know, and mm-hmm. there's nothing else that looks like it. And, and you know, and and the sound quality is is bar none. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of there's major label bands that don't sound this good, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but yeah, I just turned her loose on it, and she went crazy. And and I really liked how it turned out. And and there was a lot of people saying, oh, it doesn't look metal enough, and blah 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 blah. And it's like, dude, you know, if you want your typical cutout kind of thing, then there's yeah. plenty of places to get it, you know. Yeah, you can go get a Man of War album if if that's what you want. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You you with uh, bare chested holding your guitar up to a volcano or something yeah you can get that <laughs> anywhere yeah I was looking I remember the fir- one of the first things I noticed was on the back of the CD where you list all the songs and I thought you know maybe this is just some sort of funky font on a computer but I realized even the same letters are different shapes and things like that so I mean, that's some meticulous work that she put into that so that's yeah there's a program um, on Mac called Pages okay and she actually what you're looking at there is like, like she'll take a picture of one object and then a picture of another. So they're all individual and she's actually right. putting those in one at a time. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's, it was really, really intense and a lot of different, um, permeations of it to get it. Sure. And everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a labor of love there. Well, Dave, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Can you give us, um, where, where can folks get the CD and where can they find out more information on you? You can go to DaveRefit.com. Um, you can also you can find me on Facebook and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I do lessons on Skype if people want to study with me. Um, okay. I have some slots open and stuff, and, and that's something I really love to do. I love to teach people, and it really helps me, too, at the end of the day. Is the teaching, do you, what, what um, are you starting from beginner all the way up to expert or, or? Are you looking for yeah, I have people. I have people all across the spectrum. I have people that are picking up the guitar for the first time, and I have people that are actually pretty good that need some kind of, um, you know, honing, I guess. Yeah. And people from all over the country, and you know, so it's cool, man. It's really fun for me to interact with people and um, and all that. Excellent. And um, what else was I going to say? The CD. Yeah, you can, the CD is available through your website or CD Baby or. Yeah, you can go to cdbaby.com and search it, The Call of the Flames, or you can find it on iTunes, or like the tens of thousands of people out there, you can steal it. (laughs) (laughs) There was one website I saw where it was like 30,000 illegal downloads just on that one site, and I was like, you motherfuckers, you know. know, But that's what you, but that's how it goes, man, so, um. It's a shame you can't somehow incorporate that into, uh, you know, golden platinum status, you know, the RIAA. 30,000 downloads equals, you know, however many purchase, you know, some sort of equation. Yeah, the guy from the Steel Panther, he was like, he's like, dude, we're triple platinum in, in the Philippines in illegal downloads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and unfortunately, street over there, you know, that doesn't but, pay, um, pay the rent, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah, CD Baby, iTunes, um, and you can get all information at DaveRefit.com. And also keep your eyes peeled. Um, there's a pretty big band that I might be joining here soon, which okay. I'm really excited about. These, these are some badass guys, um, and I'm looking forward to maybe doing something with them and doing some damage, okay. taking taking some of their records. Um, I'm hoping to play on the next record and really kick some ass and some other cool stuff in the works. So. Excellent. Without giving it away, is a chance we might see you on the road, maybe even in our town at some points? Yeah, with with this band, there would be some, some heavy touring, especially in Europe and all that kind of stuff, and then hopefully there would be an American tour too. Excellent. And um, so who knows, man. You know, I just I just play it by ear and see what happens because nothing's ever 100%, you know. But sure. Uh, but I'd love to come down to Pittsburgh. I think it'd be great, man. Yeah, you're you're in Boston. Is that home now? Boston. Okay. Yeah. So we're not that far away. But what was you guys are like four or five hours or something like that? Yeah, something like well, in a plane it's even quicker. I think so. It's yeah. not not too bad. Um, and are are you anticipating a follow up to this? Are you writing new material for yourself now? Yeah, I've got tons of material going. Um, and then I've kind of been that. You know, this thing's been on the back burner a little bit because I've been writing for uh, some people I can't divulge yet, you know. Sure. Yeah, no but, yeah, I'm writing for, like, two or three different things, which is, you know, really great. So I'm hoping all that will see the light of day. And if those songs don't end up going on that, they'll probably end up on mine somehow. Or So I just so for me, it's just wading through everything and seeing sure. what works where and all that kind of stuff. Excellent. So, I yeah, think- I can't wait to make a new record. I think it would be great. Yeah, if it's anything like the first, you're you're gonna have a good time with it. Well, Dave, I want I want to thank you for taking the time, and it was great to finally get you on the show. Oh, man. thank you, man. I really appreciate it.
Wyatt from Shredding the Envelope, The Call of the Flames. That was Caravan of Cannibals, featuring Dave Reffitt on guitar. Also features someone else on guitar. See if you can pick it out. That was George Lynch doing the solo uh, in the middle section of that song. So uh, Dave certainly pulling out some great special guests on that album. Again, you can get that album at cdbaby.com. He's got a site on MySpace. Just search for Dave Reffitt, two Fs, two Ts. Want to thank him for coming on the show. It was really cool to finally get a chance to talk to him, and hopefully he'll be finding his way to the Pittsburgh market very, very soon. And speaking of Pittsburgh market, in our uh, quest to provide you the uh, most useful information we can on the Pittsburgh music scene, we have now coming on the show the director of marketing for Promo West Pittsburgh, which is the company that operates Stage AE. Uh, we have Amy Cooper joining us on the show. Now, Promo West uh, is kind of new to the area. They were out of uh, Columbus area of Ohio, but uh, they will be managing the facility. Now, those of you who have been to Stage AE thus far have been there as an indoor event. There's been uh, some shows there so far through the winter. Brett Michaels, I know, for example, played there and uh, a couple other acts. But I think as we're starting to see the summer concert season heating up, we're starting to see them push some shows outside, and we're going to have some great bands coming right into the heart of the city, which is something we haven't had in a long time. Uh, no longer will you need to drive out to the shed out in Burgettstown to see some of these bands. So they have uh, certainly made their presence felt. Uh, I know on our Facebook page, Iron City Rocks Facebook page, uh, when we announced the Motley Crue Poison show, a lot of people are like, holy cow, where, where is this place? Um so this is your chance to learn about what Stage AE. So without further ado, I'm going to get into an interview I recently conducted with Amy Cooper from Promo West. Social Distortion, live, May 11, 7 o'clock doors, Stage AE. Social Distortion, with special guests Chuck Reagan and Sharks. Social Distortion. May 11th, 7 o'clock doors, Stage AE. Social Distortion with special guests Chuck Reagan and Sharks. Get tickets now at all Ticketmaster locations. Charge by phone at 800-745-3000 or online at Ticketmaster.com. For more information, visit PromoWestLive.com. Pick up Social Distortion's new album, Hard Times and Nursery Rhymes, in stores now on Epitaph Records. Social Distortion, brought to you by Promo West, North Shore. All right, I welcome to the show from Promo West, Amy Cooper. How are you doing today, Amy? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Wonderful. All things considered, it's snowing in April, but uh, I can't complain. Um, I wanted to get you on the show and give you a chance to kind of introduce who Promo West is and also talk about your facility stage because I noticed, especially with my audience, as soon as the Motley Crue show went on sale, I was getting messages like, where the heck is stage AE? And, you know, why are they playing there? And I know even for myself, walking on the way to the Steeler game late last summer, like, hey, what is this thing coming up on the North Shore? So um, do you want to tell us what your role with Tomo West is? Um, absolutely. I am the director of marketing for uh, Promo West Productions. We have four venues in Columbus. And then obviously we have Stage AE here in Pittsburgh. Um, it's the second type of venue of its kind with the indoor and outdoor capabilities. 
Okay. Um, yeah. It's definitely uh, it's very different and very intimate for the fans. So how does that work? I mean, for those of us who haven't seen it yet, I mean, do you have kind of like a giant garage door that goes up, or, or what? Like logistically, how do you make that happen? We do. It actually is an air uh, airplane hanger door, and you just okay. push a button like a garage door, and it comes up, and the stage is actually extended. So okay. the stage doesn't move. It's permanent. It's the door that opens, and um, once that happens, then the indoor stage actually becomes a bigger part of what the outdoor stage is. Okay. And then, and then we... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 that's okay. Um, and then, you know, we have uh, the outdoor amphitheater with, with a much bigger um, capacity. Okay. So for those who might have gone to see Brett Michaels, uh, for example, you're going to then open this door, and it would be then part of the um, audience would be under roof and part would be exposed? No, that... it's no, it's all open air outside. Oh, okay. All right. So, And you've got a capacity, you would set about 5,500 people for an outdoor venue? Yes, 55 for outdoor and 2,300 for indoor. And what's really cool about it is that um, the indoor portion becomes the backstage area for outdoor shows. Okay. So this is really kind of like a multifaceted sort of facility. Uh, so it's really kind of unique. I think a lot of people haven't seen it, so it makes it more challenging to, uh, to visualize. Now, Promo West, you mentioned, was out of Columbus. How did you guys get into the Pittsburgh market? I mean, at one point I know when they announced there was going to be an Orchard Amphitheater, the Steelers were rumored to be involved in, in the building of that. Is any of that actually true? Um, yeah, absolutely. Continental Realty, who has done a lot of development here in the North Shore, um, introduced the Steelers and Promo West, and um, they came up with the idea to partner together in opening the amphitheater, you know, the venue. And since we had been so successful in Columbus with the indoor-outdoor concept, um, everybody was in agreement that it would be a great thing to bring to the city. Okay. And then you you came out, um, you've been with Promo West for, for a little while now, right? Yeah, almost five years. Okay, so they kind of sent you out here to spearhead the uh, mission on Pittsburgh. Yeah, they did. Now, for the Pittsburgh region, one of the things, I guess, um, with a little bit of knowledge I have of how booking agents work, I mean, is this kind of a competitive advantage for Pittsburgh to be kind of a sister facility to Columbus? You know, I think so. Um, our role in bringing the, the venue to the city was just to fill a void. Okay. Yeah, I know uh, immediately when you and I talked, um, earlier, there is sort of a lack of larger capacity indoor venues that aren't hockey arenas. And that's, you know, there's a lot of clubs that can do up to 12, 1300 seats, but you've got, you know, what you say, 2200 capacity for an indoor show? Yeah, yeah, 2300. And, and you know, the, the mid level um, venue is really what. Uh, what is most successful, it seems, across the board. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of artists that still can fill, um, you know, the big outdoor sheds and arenas, but um, a venue of our size and capacity gives more of a mid-level artist an opportunity to bring their their show to the masses. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, it, it seems to me as a person that's been following music since, you know, the early 80s, the number of artists, new artists that can fill those sheds seems to me to be on the decline. I don't know from an insider perspective, but in the 80s, a band like 
poison to show up and sell 12,000 seats. Motley Crue sell 12,000 seats. You know, even a band like Queensryche played, you know, the Civic Arena as it was at the time. But a lot of those bands now that are of maybe the same caliber don't draw quite the audience unless they do these kind of massive operation package tools. So, you know, it seems like there are more bands still your venue than it would even be like the, the uh, first Niagara Pavilion anymore. Is I that think when, kind of the market is bearing out? You know what? I think the advantage is that the fan really wants to be up close and personal with, with the band. And in a smaller venue uh, such as, you know, Stage AE Outdoors, even if you're in the very back at the top of the hill by the fence, you can still see the color of the socks of the drummer. Yeah. You you still feel like you're up close and personal, and you don't feel so far away and, and disconnected. And the same goes for uh, for the artists and the bands. I've had artists that have played indoors here in recent months say, uh, not to sound cheesy, but you know what what an intimate uh, experience it was for them, and what a great uh, connection they felt to the audience because. It's still, um, you know, like a, a cool rock venue. The, the stage is high. You know, nobody can jump up on the stage. But, you know, if the artist wants to just scoot down on the edge of the stage, they're an arm's length away from, from the barrier so they can reach out and touch the fan or, or whatever. And, and uh, both for the fan and the artist alike, it's, it's just a really intimate, really up-close experience for both of them. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. I know from going to see shows, at the shed, uh, as you call it. Sometimes it's more like you watch the show on TV because you're so far away, and if you want to watch the guy play the guitar solo, you can either watch something that's the, you know, the three-quarter of an inch high from where you're sitting way back in the grass or watch it on TV. And at that point, you're wondering why you drove out to the middle and nowhere to do that. Exactly. And, you know, we don't have um, big screens outdoors because we don't need them because everything that you need to be able to see, you can see live on the stage, so you don't have to watch it on a screen. We do have um, screens inside, mm-hmm. but outdoors it's totally not necessary. Yeah, I, I never minded when artists would do like video and things like that behind them, but when you're essentially looking at the singer and right behind him is a giant singer, it seems kind of like either, you know, something's wrong there from the fans' perspective. <laughs> right. Interactive. So that's great. Now, you guys uh, have been announcing a slew of shows. Um, I, I mentioned uh, Motley Crue and Poison, partially because that, that's got to be one that's got everybody mentioned the Motley Crue and Poison New York Dolls show in July. I forget the exact date. But uh, you want to tell us about some of the other shows that are coming out there? Uh, absolutely. Our first outdoor show, which we're extremely excited about, is Social Distortion. That was originally booked as an indoor show, and uh, ticket sales were were so quick and so big that um, we decided to move it outside. So we're we're really excited about that to to be able to be outdoors early May. You're truly very excited about this too. I don't I don't know why they don't get a ton of airplay in the city. But the bands draw incredibly well in town. Yeah, they yeah that's I mean I can tell just from the from the fan reaction on our Facebook page and emails I've gotten and you know uh, speaking to folks over um, at the X who they you know they been doing giveaways and supporting the show, and uh, everybody's getting lots and lots of positive feedback. So 
Yeah. We're definitely excited about that. Um, we just announced Weird Al, which will be May 22nd. We've got the Avert Brothers on the 27th. We've got Weezer. We've got the Monkeys, the Clarks, 311 with Sublime and with Rome, Slayer, Rob Zombie, um, as you mentioned, Motley Crue, Poison. And then we just announced the Perfect Circle. Yeah. And I know, uh, speaking of another band that gets a huge buzz, Slayer, my goodness, people are, you know, so excited on Facebook, I noticed about that. And there's another band where you're not going to typically turn on your FM dial and hear uh, much brain in the blood, but uh, <laughs> you know, they've got a hardcore audience, and, and I think you'll you'll find it's Pittsburgh, their kind of town, you know, which is great. So, yeah, that, um, that show on Facebook, um, it is the most responses we have gotten on any show we announced was Slayer Rob Zombie. Yeah, I, th- I think with, with Slayer, I don't know so much about Rob Zombie, but there are no half-ass Slayer fans. You know, no one's, uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of into Slayer. You're either in or you're out. And, and yeah, those absolutely. Players, they're all going to be right there outside your office that day. Um, tickets for the shows, are they all, are all of the, the events at the uh, stage available for Ticketmaster? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you can buy them through Ticketmaster, or we do have box office hours during the week, so if you're ever down on the North Shore, you can certainly stop by the box office and purchase tickets as well. Okay, and um, as far as Promo West and to keep an eye on this up, on our site we we have all the dates and things like that, but you want to tell them how they can find out more about Promo West, your website, and purchase? Absolutely. Our website is promowestlive.com, or you can find us on Facebook, and we will list our events um, on there as well. Okay, great. Well, Amy, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to talk to us today. No, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. Motley Crew is hitting the road. With Poison. With the band that inspired them both, the New York Dolls. A one-time only event. July 24th, doors at 5.30 at Stage A.E. Outdoors. Motley Crew. Poison. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster Outlets. Call 800-745-3000 or at Ticketmaster.com. For more info, visit PromoWestLive.com. Motley Crew, Poison, and the New York Dogs. More info at Motley.com. Brought to you by Promo West North Shore. All right, again, I want to thank Amy Cooper for coming on the show from Promo West. So uh gave you a little taste of some shows that are going to be coming out there. Social Distortion, Motley Crew, Danzig. Uh, really too many to mention right now. You can find all of those shows at ironcityrocks.com. Go to our concert calendar. There is a drop down there for Promo West uh, and also all the other promoters, uh, great promoters in the city, Drusky Entertainment, Elko Concerts, um, Opus One Productions. Also, uh, you can get the Polestar calendar from the whole region, which includes a lot of the stuff out in Burgettstown. So, a lot of chances to uh, find out shows at ironcityrocks.com. While you're there, you can register to win tickets to see these great Promo West shows. We've got the Monkees, we've got Social Distortion, and we've got Motley Crue and Poison. So get on over to ironcityrocks.com, click the contest link. The Social Distortion tickets, the entry deadline is April 24th. 
Uh, so you want to get in on that. You've got a little more time for the monkeys and motley. So uh, you ever think you'd hear the word monkeys and motley all in one sentence? Anyway, back to the matter at hand. Iron City Rocks welcomes UFO coming to the Altar Bar in Pittsburgh. They'll be coming in on May 9th, and that show will feature, in addition to UFO, will be featuring Mind Flow and the Society Flyers. Again, that's an Iron City Rock show. Starts at 9 p.m. in the Altar Bar, and that is a 21 and up show. So, to get you in the mood for that show, we wanted to catch up with uh, someone from UFO, and Andy Parker, the original and current drummer, was able to take some time out of his schedule to talk to us. This was back a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we didn't want to air it too soon, and you'd forget about it. So, without further ado, we're going to get into an interview with Andy Parker. Uh, we're going to leave, lead into that with just a tiny taste of uh, one of UFO's favorite songs and one of my favorite songs as well rock bottom Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome to the show from the legendary English band UFO. This is Andy Parker. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm doing great, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I um, wanted to start off with, um, you got started on the drums pretty early, obviously. Um, were your parents kind of musical, or, or what kind of uh, caused you to gravitate to playing the drums? Uh, that's a good one. Um, I was actually... Uh shoved towards the piano before the drums. I mean, my, my mother, you know, decided that, that my sister and I should have um, a musical education, and they kind of steered me towards the piano, but I wasn't very good, I have to say, a bit heavy-handed. My sister mm-hmm. was great, which made it all the worse, you know, that, that yeah. she was better than I was. So, um, I mean, I'd always wanted to play drums. I mean, I, I understand that from really early age, I, was, I would gather up saucepans, you know, and stuff, and make a drum kit, you know, mm-hmm. bang on whatever was around. But the funny thing was that when I actually came time to play the drum, my parents were fairly supportive. But when I asked them for lessons, they basically threw in my face, no, you wouldn't stick with your piano lessons. So we're not yeah. paying for drum lessons. It was kind of like, well, that was your choice, not mine. But they were they were, they were, were really cool about it, you know what I mean? Because you can imagine back then, I mean, drum kit meant a drum kit, not something you could put headphones on and, and keep quiet. So yeah. they, they suffered that, you know, um, for years. I think I got my first full kit when I was 13, but I'd had um, snare drums and hi-hats and things before then. You know, so. Now, on your on your bio on your website, I had uh, read you were a pretty big fan of Jimi Hendrix. Was Mitch Mitchell somebody you tried to emulate? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, back then, it, for me, it was Mitch Mitchell, Keith Moon, Ginger Baker, you know, I mean, basically, you know, the, the British drummers, but then, you know, I mean, and this is, you know, this is quite well known that once I heard John Bonham, that was kind of changed, changed things for me. He just, you know, he just played the, the way, you know, it was just a, a different, a completely different take on things, and it, you know, it just opened doors for me, I think, you know, just opened the door in my head, and I went, man, this is it, this is what, you know, that's the direction I want to go, so. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love those guys. I mean, you know, who wouldn't? You know, yeah. these flamboyant kind of drummers. You know, and there was there's great drummers coming out of England back then. You know, still is. Yeah, I mean, you you were certainly lucky to grow up in a very um, a oh, blessed time musically. Um, how did you and and Phil and Pete get together to form the band? 
Um, you know, that's interesting. I was in a, like, uh, I was at college for a couple of years, um, like in the 60s, mid 60s, mid to late 60s, and, um, one of the guys, and I drew, we had a little blues band, some guys I met in college, you know, guys that I'd known at school and stuff, you know, so, we had this little blues band going, and, because that was kind of the thing back then, you know, mid to late 60s, there was a big blues thing in England, you know, everyone was playing the blues, it's like, you know, Chicken Shack and Savoy Brown, things like that came from, <clears throat> and, um, we kind of, you know, we kind of done our thing, and the band had kind of wound up, we weren't really playing, and we were just sitting in a local pub one night, and Pete, and Phil and the original guitar player, Mick Bolton, came in the pub. I guess they'd been looking for somewhere to rehearse and try out drummers because they, they'd lost their drummer or they'd sacked him or something. They were just looking for a you know, rehearsal space to go and, you know, try out, have auditions. And it just happened that the, the guy that played guitar in, in the band that I was in used to go to school with Pete Way and they hadn't seen each other for, for ages until they just bumped into each other in this pub and we all sat down and got talking and then I found out they were looking for a drummer and and they said, do you want to, you know, try out? And I said, yeah. And turned up for the audition, and of course, there was nobody there. <laughs> I, should, <laughs> I should have seen that as a warning sign, shouldn't I? Yeah. Uh, they they showed up about an hour late, and then called, and they spent the next hour trying to find some guitar chords that worked, you know. And, and I think, I think you know, the next um, question was, can you solder? And I went, well, yeah, of course I can. And so, well, would you mind fixing some leads so we can actually do this thing? <laughs> so that came the soldering iron. I made a few leads, and we got. got and then I think that's probably what got me the job. You know, I should. I, 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 to be honest, I don't remember any other drummers being there for the audition, but that might just be because I've, I've forgotten about it. But uh, anyway, I got the gig, and that was, you know, that was it. So, yes. and I stayed with them until '83. So that was quite a long time. Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah. uh, you were fairly young when the first UFO album came out, and obviously you were, you know, in 1983. Uh, yeah, well, I, was, I was 17 when the first, because, in fact, my parents refused to sign the car. I wasn't old enough to sign the contract, because I was still, you know, legally a minor. Mm-hmm. But my parents refused to sign it. They, 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 were, they were convinced that I would get ripped off, you know, as they put it. <laughs> Which was true. I did. Yeah, that's right. I actually had to wait my 18th birthday to sign it myself. You know, much to their their disgust. And you know, for years after, my mother goes, "We knew that you'd get ripped tough." But I mean, you know, and they were right, absolutely. But you know, who doesn't? You know, and the thing, the important thing back then was to to make a record. You know, I mean, you didn't really care to make any money or not. It was just to kind of get your get your music. You know, you know. On, on an album, so you know, and I always said to her, "Yeah, that's true, Mum. You know, we did, but that led to us, you know, going on. If we hadn't have done that first album, you know, that would have probably, you know, we wouldn't have gone anywhere." So yeah, so she kind of forgave me in the end. <laughs> yeah. Now you guys, um, you were obviously there when when um, Bolton left the band and in step mm-hmm. Mike, Michael Shanker. What kind of led to that decision to to replace him and bring in Michael? I think, you know, with, with Mick, I mean, you know, he, he was the original guitar player, as, as you know, but, you know, our, I think it's our musical direction, just, you know, I mean, Pete uh, uh, and myself were kind of going one way and Mick was going a different way. And Mick was always, I think, a bit more more poppy, you know, where we wanted to be more rock. So, you know, it was inevitable that we would end up part and company. And, um, you know, we went through a couple of other guitar players between him and Michael, um, Larry Wallace was in the band for a short time ago. He went later on, went on with the Pink Pharaohs and, and Barry Marsden, of course, you know, and up in White Snake. And um, but I think you know, once we'd seen Michael, which was 
Um, I don't know if you know this story. We were actually doing a show in Germany where Scorpions were opening for us, mm-hmm. and uh, our, our equipment got stuck at customs, so we knew it wasn't going to arrive for the gig. So we negotiated to to borrow Scorpions back line, which they were very, you know very kindly agreed to. And then, of course, as, as showtime got closer, we realized that our guitar player wasn't going to make this was Bernie. Martin wasn't going to make it either. So, so we had to go back and ask if we could borrow their guitar player. So, yeah. uh, That's <laughs> what they know, got for their troubles. It, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? You know, yeah. uh, now, you, go, well, you know, we're not going to borrow your gear. Can we borrow your guitar player as well? Which they agreed to turn. I just remember Pete Way and Klaus Mine and Michael crammed in a, in a, a toilet stall because Klaus was the only one who really spoke you know, for English, you know, and I was just kind of translating chords. Unfortunately, Michael knew a few of our songs, because we'd had, you know, the first mm-hmm. couple of albums had, had been reasonably successful in Germany, so, so he knew some stuff. And, and we managed to, you know, there's a lot, lots of long, drawn-out solos, but I think, you know, after, after we'd seen Michael, it was kind of, man, this is the way, this is the guy for us, this is where we want to be, you know. I mean, this incredible... Um, skinny, blonde-haired guy with a flying V tucked under mm-hmm. his leg. You know, it's just, it's just too much to to turn down. Now, obviously, Michael was in and out of the band multiple, multiple times. Um, you actually had spent some time away from the band, came back to the band, spent some time mm-hmm. away. Um, what kind of brought you back? I mean, were there changes in the musical situation that that kind of brought you back, or was it more things going on in your personal life at the time? Yeah, well, you know. The first time in '83, I mean, the band was, was pretty burnt. Pete had left already. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael left. Paul Chapman was playing guitar then. But it's just, I think it was, you know, really, a, we were just victims of circumstance. We'd been on the road continuously. If we weren't in the, on the road, we were in the studio. I mean, people just you, you kind of get burnt out. There was a lot of substance abuse going on. You know, I think really at that point it was just, you know, and I've always said this: when it ceases to be fun, it's like, what's the point? You know, if you yeah. can't enjoy playing music, then then why, you know, why would you do it? At least that's my theory, you know. And um, I had stuff going on in personal life. My, you know, my um, wife had, you know, uh, we'd split up. You know, I had a three-year-old daughter. I needed to spend some time with. So mm-hmm. basically, that's why I was out of the band for oh, probably ten or eleven years. I mean, over those years, I mean, I did a little stint with Wasted. That was Pete Way's band right after I left UFO. But basically, I needed to be home and take care of my kids. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of what I did. And I went in a different direction. And over the years, they would call me and say, oh, well, you know, we're doing this and we're doing that. You know, we'll let you know. We're going to be doing an album. You know, after a while, you just go, yeah, right. You know, and you don't hear from them again for like six months or something. But um, I think around 94, um, a company called Zero, a Japanese record company, put up some money to make an album and you know I got a, the usual phone call hey you know we're putting a band back together kind of thing you know and, and it was the it was the, the lineup Michael, Paul, Phil, Pete you know myself which was really exciting and Ron Neverson who produced some great albums for us so yeah so I said yeah I'm in and then that's we did Walk on Water um, that was we recorded that in California in 94 and and then they wanted me to go on the road but you know I still had had issues with them and there was it was difficult because, you know, although you know, although it was really fun making the album and it was a great album, I think, and it, you know, it, it was great working with Ron. There was there was obvious tension still within that lineup, you know, especially sure. between Phil and Michael. And I could just see it just didn't it just didn't feel right, you know. And it's a lot different to being in a studio and working on an album to actually getting on the road and taking the thing out there and having to do gig after gig, you know. And I just could kind of like foresee this thing self-destructing. And unfortunately, I was right. I mean, fortunately for me, I didn't. I, I chose not to go on the road with them. But right. uh, so then I had another 
sort of hiatus for then I went back to England and went to work for my family for another ten or eleven years and then I think two thousand five I got a phone call from them out of the just from Paul Raymond actually out of the blue completely um, you know, unexpected, saying that uh, Jason Bonham had ch- chose to leave and, and go with Foreigner, and then they had a show to do in, in, I think it was in November. This was August. He called me and said, mm. "We've got this one show that's already booked. We can't get out of it. Would you be interested in doing it?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely." You know, I said, "Funny enough, I'm actually leaving my job here and moving back to the states, so you know, I'm able to do that." And and, and I did it, and it was it was just so much fun. I mean, you know, Vinny was in the band then, and. It's just a whole different feel, you know. The fun had come back. You just tell these guys, you know, enjoying themselves, and there was a stability there that I hadn't felt in in some time, you know, with that band. So, um, and I've been with them ever since. You know, I don't don't plan to to leave again, you know, unless things change. But you know, I think the band's as strong as it's ever been, and and, and it's a, it's a lot more fun than it has been in a lot of times. You know, so. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy to be part of it. Now, how do you think um, Vinny's, uh, Vinny Moore, for those not familiar, um, has kind of, is more of a calming influence on the band? Obviously, Michael is Michael, and, and the stories of Michael are kind of legendary. Um, it, Vinny, obviously, no slouch musically. For those not familiar, please go check out Mind's Eye. But um, how, how do you think he fits uh, the dynamic of the band as far as with writing and things like that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, um, as I said, Michael, I mean, an absolute genius, and I, and I love him to death, but, you know, not the most stable person um, mm-hmm. on the planet, you know, especially when it came to touring. Michael doesn't do well on the road, I don't think. He never never really did. It's not, you know, it's, he just doesn't like, you know, um, what, what's involved with it. Vinny, on the other hand, I mean, an incredible guitar player, you know, great, and he's just as solid as a rock, you know, you kind of, you know, you know, and, that's, and that kind of confidence, I think that really, that really um, is important to feel. You know, to walk out on that stage and know that now you're going to finish the first song, you're going to finish the, the whole set and and the rest of the tour. You know, so um, you know, and that makes a lot of difference. And you know, and, and I think that's what I felt. You know, when I, when I went back with them in '94, was that that just that tension in there. You know, you never really knew if the whole thing was just going to blow up in your well, face. You know, and I mm-hmm. think. I think that just takes a lot of the fun out of it. You know, how can you, you know, relax and enjoy yourself if you've got that hanging over your head? So, Vinny, you know, and, and the interesting thing about Vinny is, he, as you said, you know, you quote Mind's Eye there, and, and uh, his last uh, album, The Core, I love that album, and it's just, you know, I just think that's just a great piece of work. But, you know, if you listen to Vinny as a solo artist, you wouldn't think necessarily that he would work with UFO, that it would fit. But you put him in, you know, with us, and, and, and it's just, it's such great chemistry. I mean, he brings a real nice kind of bluesy feel to the band that we you know we hadn't had in some time and and i'm really happy with that and i think phil is too because that's kind of where we started from you know like yeah. in the late 60s so that's very comfortable and certainly with paul raymond too you know having you know spend time with savoy brown and chicken shack i mean that's his you know that's his forte too so i'm very happy with the way the material is right now and as i said Vinny, he's just a, he's just a great guy he's just as solid mm-hmm. as a rock for me yeah and, you know and, and fun to be around you know and that's i think that's the thing you'll get from seeing this band now. You just get the feeling of just how much fun we're having. And I think, you know, you can't help but impart that to an audience. If the audience sees the band having fun, they're going to have fun too. You know? Yeah. I, I think, think you, so important. you can draw a lot of parallels to, to Vinny in UFO to what you can with Steve Morris in Deep Purple, where you could listen to him as a solo artist, and exactly like you said, you kind of scratch your head and say, well, this fit, what is this going to be like? 
but then you can really feel the band kind of being rejuvenated by their presence. You he know. does, yeah. Such it's excellent. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It always reminds me of you know, those... Uh, in the late seventies, those super groups they tried to put together, you know, and they, you know, you you you, can, you take three or four incredible musicians, and you know, this is going to be great, and, and it wasn't, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you put people who you wouldn't think would fit, and all of a sudden that just it just works. So. Yeah, which is wonderful. Now, um, your current tour, you're going to be coming into Tar City of Pittsburgh in early May. Um, is Pete going to be on this U.S. tour? Um, unfortunately, no. no. Okay. Um, Barry Sparks will be playing this on the Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, as far as I'm aware, I mean, this, this thing with Pete has been going on for, for so long now. Um, and you may have actually heard the rumors that he's been working with Michael and, and Herman Rarebell. I don't know if you know that. I've, yeah, I've seen rumblings of the project, but as with anything, Michael, you kind of want to wait till you see the record come out to get too, uh, emotionally attached to the idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, initially, I mean, Pete had had some serious, and he still does have some serious health problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and initially, when he left the band, I think it was I'm just trying to think, 2007, maybe, yeah, yeah, 2007, late 2007. You know, the, the idea was that he was going to go and clean up his act and get the, get the help that he needed. Uh, you know, so that he could actually, you know, carry on. So we we replaced him, you know, with with, with just with interim players. You know, didn't actually replace him full right. time. Well, this is kind of strung out, I and mean, Pete, you know, I love him to death, but he's, he's, he's not, he's not great in the willpower department, you know, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, he, you know, he doesn't seem to realize that, you know, you can't carry on doing what you're doing, and, um, and I saw him quite recently, we were in, we were in, uh, in, in the UK just before Christmas, and I saw him, and he was, you know, working on his project with, with Michael, and he's still sick, you know, he's still drinking, he's, you know, and it's, it's such a shame because I just don't know how long. I mean, you know, no one's indestructible, even though he he appears, you know, to all intents and purposes to be indestructible. You know, at some point it's going to catch up with him. And I think, you know, it's got to the point where, you know, we've been we've been there and done that, and and and, and we all felt that, you know, that UFO needed to be be better now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and unfortunately, you know, we we just weren't really happy with the way Pete was was being. You know, uh, and. Sure. So it was, you know, it was the kind of the weak link, in, in, in that he need, and 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 also he needed, you know, to, to sort this out. And I think he had, you know, the best intentions at the beginning, but you know, like I said, his, I mean, he came out some excuse to me that he hadn't, you know, why well, he hadn't been getting his treatment, and it was, you know, his, his kind of man, you know, stop kidding yourself, go get get take care of it. And I've noticed there's a couple of things I saw an interview with Herman, and and an interview with Michael where they talk about Pete, you know, that he's still kind of abusing himself um, and unfortunately they managed to you know to keep it together but that you know, it, it makes you know it, it, it just puts tension in the, in the situation again you know and you've got one yeah. guy like that you know you think you know you, you really shouldn't be doing this man you should really you know taking care of yourself and as i say you know poor old pete he does seem to think he's indestructible but yeah um, only time will tell but we you know we just decided that it wasn't going to work for us you know and, and we we all, you know, love him to death and hope that he's going to, you know, straighten himself up and that he will be back. I mean, we've we've never replaced him uh, completely. We've used a variety of different bass, I think three different bass players and, and a different guy on the album. So that's four bass players that I've worked with over the five years that I've been been back in the band, including, you know, and Pete being the sixth one, you know, he was in the band when I came back. But, um, you know, so he's not, it's not like we've gone, you're out for good, man. You know, this is, this is a new player. We just use who's available and who seems to work best. And Barry... Barry, I mean, Barry's just an incredible bass player and uh, a great guy, and um, yeah. he's been working, Rob DeLuca also, a guy who worked with Sebastian Barker, he's done 
Future is another great bass player and a great guy. So, you know, there's people out there that, that kind of fill in the shoes, but yeah. as yet, you know, we, we, you know, we just keep hoping that Pete will turn himself around. And I know the fans would, would you know, love that, but <clears throat> it's just kind of, you know, this, this stage of the game, we can't really afford to, you know, have it. It's kind of a loose cannon. And I yeah. think, you know. You don't need uh, that liability. Exactly, and especially for Phil, you know, because we all, we've all we all got our demons, you know, and we all try to find light in there, so I think it just works better, and as I say, I think the band is so strong right now um, that we wouldn't really want to upset that, you know. Sure. So, um, well, as sad as it is, you know, because I mean, we'd just love to have him back, I mean, you know, he's just yeah. such a huge part of this band. Now, so maybe it, it'll happen, you know, who knows. Mm-hmm. As far as the set list, obviously, you guys had a, an album out in 2009, you had a... Uh, uh, kind of a greatest hits package. Is would you kind of expect kind of a through the career sort a career spanning set list for this tour? Um, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I had an email from Phil the other day saying, "God, go revamp the set list." You know, <laughs> can't, can't go. It's very difficult for this band because there's a certain amount of, of back catalog that people insist on hearing. You know, yeah. and when you're only out there for maybe an hour and a half, two hours with with encores. You know, we've got like a, like twenty odd albums now of material, yeah. so and it's very difficult to even get the new stuff in there. Um, we try, we try to kind of like you know do a cross section of everything, but you know when, you know when you and it's kind of you, you, you've got to you know people demand like say they want too hot to handle, they want only you can rock me, they want doctor doctor, they want love to love, you know. All of a sudden that's that's most of your time gone, and you're looking at oh boy, you know what's was left, but um, we have shook it up a bit, and, and I have to say, Barry's been interesting in that respect because the guy is such a fan of the band, which I didn't I didn't realize until I met him, you know, that, and he knows just about every song we've ever done, and he's really good at going, hey man, you should do this song or you should do that song, and stuff that we probably haven't played since since we actually recorded it, you know, uh, and um, it's it's great because you know, oh yeah, I've forgotten about that one, you know. So, in fact, there's a couple of, of oldies came back in, and, and Try Me got um, uh, re entered into the set just recently, which is, which is great because, I mean, it seems to go down very well. People, I think, you know, so yeah, I, I can't really tell you what to expect, but um, hopefully there'll be some new stuff. I know he's working on it as we speak, so, you know, going through stuff and seeing what, you know, what we can put together. But it should, it should pretty much be a cross section of, you know, there'll be, there'll be the golden oldies will be in there, but hopefully sure. there'll be. Something uh, ankles and right now we're 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 just we're just starting to work on material for a new album so that's interesting too. So Excellent. Okay. Ideas are getting kicked around. We're hoping to get one out, but some or we'll at least get to work on it some around the middle of the year. So. Wonderful, wonderful. So we might see that yeah. maybe early next year. Yeah, hopefully, or maybe you know late this year. If, Great. If all things go according to plan. I mean, you know, initially with the earlier, I think everyone just felt that I wasn't right now. I get material together and and work on it. So. But yeah, as far as I mean, it will be it will be varied. But um, but for the for the diehards, the 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 old stuff, I'm sure, still be there. Yeah, I know. I personally, my daughter, my daughter is a huge fan of the song "Rock Bottom," so I think. You know, Sorry. My daughter, she loves that song "Rock Bottom." Oh well, yeah, that's that has been, um, and I can't guarantee it will be. That has been our last encore. Um, or first encore, depending on you know, which way. The interesting thing, John, is the last time we were out, it got to the point where Phil would have um, like alternate set lists where they, you know, oh, you go okay. down the list and there'd yeah. be two or three songs, and he would sometimes, you know, sometimes depending on how his voice was feeling or how the mood was taking him, he'd you know call out 
So we had to keep our wits about us, you know, because we weren't quite sure. But a lot of the time, he'd actually call out to the other, okay, you can either have this or that, which one, <laughs> whoever shouted the loudest, that's the song we do. So it's kind of fun. It keeps it, you know, it yeah. just keeps it fresh. So that's, um, you know, that's I'll show idea. you how to get more of that. But Doc Bowling, Rock Bottom was in the set, so um, hopefully it'll still be in there. Yeah, for some of the showcase of any these days, so it yeah. usually gets, gets in there. Wonderful. Well, Andy, again, you guys are coming in on May, uh, I believe it's the 9th of, uh, into Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, I looked today because it actually wasn't on my list. I went on the website, yes, yeah, the 9th. We've got another gig in, in Pennsylvania, um, somewhere else as well on the 8th, I think, or the 7th, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely around then. All right. Yeah, that's cool, man. It's great to talk to you, John, yeah, and you take care, and I hope I'll see you when we're in uh, Pittsburgh. Okay, it's been a pleasure. Thank All you, right. Andy. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye. REO Speedwagon celebrates the 30th anniversary of the release of their iconic High Infidelity album. September 18th, 7.30 at Trib Total Media Amphitheater at Station Square. All those legendary hits from High Infidelity and more. Reserve seats are on sale now at all Ticketmaster locations, Ticketmaster.com, or by calling 1-800-745-3000. Presented by Drusky Entertainment and Pittsburgh Concert Group. UFO with Andy Parker. I want to thank Andy for taking the time out of his day to talk to us on the show here. Again, they will be in town on May 9th. They will be playing the Altar Bar for a 21 and Up show. You can get your tickets. Go through uh, druskyentertainment.com and you'll find a link on their concert calendar. Uh, invite you to check out their site. They've got a really uh, totally revamped website. Uh, the guys put a lot of work into it and it looks fantastic. So, again, drusky, D R U S K Y entertainment.com want to also thank Amy Cooper from Promo West and also Dave Reffitt for coming on the show I'd like to invite you to check out our website ironcityrocks.com we're on Facebook at uh, facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks also on Twitter again with the forward slash ironcityrocks invite you to follow us friend us whatever it is you do on all these sites uh, we do use MySpace, but kind of sparingly anymore, so uh, probably not the best way to get a hold of us anymore, but it's there if you have a need. Uh, again, we'd remind you of the contest we have running right now, tickets to see Social Distortion in May, The Monkees in June, and also Motley Crue Poison and the New York Dolls in August. So uh, lots of great chances and certainly different musical styles. So if you're into the more of the punk alternative rock, you got Social Distortion, you're a little older, you got The Monkees. You're a little older like me. You got Motley Crue, so you can't go wrong. So uh, check it out. Send us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail dot com if you've got anything you'd like to say. Also, we uh, urge you strongly to go to iTunes and leave us uh, some stars or a uh, review if you would. Thank you again for your time. Hope you enjoy the show. <laughs>